Welcome to Social Effects, a podcast hosted by myself, Edward Barnier, or as some of you know me, Edward KB. Social Effects dives deep into the world of social media with some of my favorite people who I'm fortunate enough to call friends. The effect of social media has had an undeniable impact on our lives, and these conversations allow us to find out more about the background of some social media's most prolific creatives, their approach to the craft, and what keeps them up at night. In this upcoming episode, we speak with Maurice Lee, a Vancouver-based photographer and creative I originally met in Hong Kong approximately four years ago. What I've always appreciated about Maurice is his ability to link brands and photography, bring them together in amazing creative formats and stay true and authentic to that. We're here today with Maurice Lee, creative from Stay and Wonder. I also know him through Instagram, as many of my other guests. And we're going to talk today about a number of things, including his previous work, his current work as a photographer, and a little bit about sneakers and sneaker culture. Hello, Maurice. How's it going, Edward? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, So I don't know if you want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll delve into your backstory. Okay, I'm a photographer, but I'm also a co-founder for a creative agency called Stay and Wander. Uh, we do a lot of work around the world, really, in terms of brand campaigns, photography campaigns, both commercial and social media. And we also do a lot of artist management, uh, artist representation type work and consultation. My typical day can involve anything from shooting to producing to just networking with photographers. That sounds like a quite exciting job. But before Stay in Wonder, you had another career. I did. Right. You want to tell us about that? So for almost 10 years, I was actually a venture capitalist. Wow. Yeah. So that was sort of the heyday of technology before some of the, the big names that we all know and love in tech really made it big, sort of before the big technology shift. Okay. In truth, it was actually during the downturn. Oh, right. So like just after the bubble burst. Right. Okay. Um, that was sort of when I got into things. So it wasn't ideal, but it was great in terms of place for me to really learn the ropes, learn the ways of the world in terms of how companies were built, uh, how companies you know thrived or failed and yes. eventually became devastating empty shells. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that put you on a sound footing to then go on and do your own thing? I would say it did. I mean, I learned a lot yeah. from that career. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of it directly you know, transferable in terms of knowledge, but uh, I figured out you know, a lot of things that really helped in terms of building a new company. You would have seen how not to do things. What did it help you with that you're still using to this day or that you put into Stay and Wonder? Well, I think one of the things about venture capital is that um, because we're not the founders of the companies that we used to invest in, we helped guide them. We stepped in with knowledge uh, when we had it that was applicable. And if we didn't, we would be able to bring in, you know, a network of knowledge to help build those companies and help them succeed. Yes. And so I think that, you know, in a roundabout way, that is what we do for a lot of people now. We apply that knowledge both to growing Stay and Wander and also to the approach that we take with other photographers in terms of the advice that we give, how to surround them with the right knowledge Mm -hmm. to help people do what they do best. Yes. And so what was the transition? Did you actively choose to stop being a venture capitalist? Was there a social media moment that made you think, actually, I can harness this in a different way and take these things in a different path? Or how did you get from venture capitalist to founder of creative agency? The journey was actually uh, quite interesting for me because 
because, you know, within the confines of the venture capital uh, firm, I was junior in terms of age by quite a few years. Mm -hmm. Um, So the people that I worked with were slightly of a a different time. Uh, So it was really nice synergy. They approached things with a very different perspective from I did. Having said that, you know, we were on the cusp of new technologies. And I think a lot of those new technologies being social media related, uh, they often couldn't relate directly. Um, And so it sort of fell upon my shoulders to say, hey, this is why we should be looking at this. Or, hey, this is is why I think this is going to be huge. Are there any things that you remember pointing out to people that are still around today? Oh, absolutely. I mean, being from Vancouver, one of the local success stories uh, that we have is Hootsuite. It's sort of a you know a Twitter management sort of software platform, and right. they've now branched out to a variety of others. So that was something that I uh, really really wanted to invest in. Kind of like a tweet deck, like a tweet deck. It basically took over the market from tweet deck, and right. so um, you know still around today, still does really well. It's one of Vancouver's success stories. And so, you know, for example, that's one of the ones that I wanted to get in on the ground floor yeah. of. And it's difficult when you know. It, it's not at the forefront of everyone's mind if they're not using yeah. and living things like Twitter and yeah, you know social absolutely. media. So, I mean, the guys are great. Um, I think it's just in terms of the, the investor base as well as the people that we worked with, it wasn't always the right fit to go after these risky opportunities yeah. and risky simply because nobody knew. Yeah, it's, of um, course, it seems so set in stone that these things would work now, mm-hmm. but in hindsight, it was a very nascent landscape, yeah. as you said. So eventually I transitioned out of that role and yeah. you know a lot of that was because I had a calling creatively. Photography is something that I've been doing since a very young age yeah. um, because my dad was big into photography. Cool. You know, so, I can still remember cracking open his case and playing with all his old cameras and lenses. You're lucky enough to have a dad that allowed you to do that <laughs> as opposed to locking it all away. <laughs> but like somebody's dad, I'm not going to talk about who. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. um, but yeah, no, I, it was a great opportunity to follow my passions. I had sort of developed a name for myself amongst friends and close peers. Yes. And so I was being asked to do more and more, quote unquote, professional photography work. Yes, yes. And so eventually, I think my uh, venture capital day job and my photography night job, if you will, or nights and weekends, it started to shift the proportion. And it got to a point where, you know, I was comfortable making the leap. The guys at the firm were very supportive. I mean, mm-hmm. they're like a family. So it happened. And it's a really long story, but I'll try and condense it. No, I mean, no, it, tell it all. I tried photography and really quickly I landed some big jobs. Cool. Um, one of which was following Will and Kate, the Duke and Duchess oh, of Cambridge, yeah, 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 around yeah. Uh, Canada and Crazy. shooting for press publications as well as for all the social media channels for Canada. That was great work. And, and I think really what came out of that was that it was a brutal experience in terms of how hard the work was. Right. Uh, okay. It's not something that I could have imagined in that, terms of... That particular job. You know, it's probably the hardest I've ever worked in my life. Um, wow. You know, I, I mean, it, it's just what you had to do in terms of creating content, writing copy, yep. um, you know, editing the photos, getting those out, and then also doing press photography and, right. and delivering yeah. to, you know, waiting recipients in Europe. Like, yeah. So it was like I was never sleeping. But I think what was fantastic about it was that it helped crystallize for me, hey, this is not something simple. 
creating content that's engaging right. for social media platforms. And even when you have subjects that are so incredibly famous and everyone's you know wanting to know about them, mm-hmm. it's not just to walk in the park. You still have to put time and work into it. Yes. And so I came back from that trip and it really helped to focus myself in terms of what I wanted to do. I knew that I didn't want to be a wedding photographer. I knew I didn't yeah. uh, necessarily want to be a corporate headshot or, you know, come what may type of photographer. Mm-hmm. So very quickly after that, I started approaching uh, companies and brands and saying, look, you know, at the time, Twitter, Facebook were really taking off. And so uh, my pitch would be simple. I would sit down with them and say, look, you know, everybody's hiring people that can write great copy to run their social media. We see that, you know, everywhere. That, that's yeah. just what was happening. But, you know, you're having people that come from a journalism background or a writing background or even, you know, at that time, a blogging background. Yes. And you're asking them to also create the photos and the content that accompany the pieces that go out right. across social media. And I was like, you know, there's a bit of a disconnect because the, the quality is just not there. You're not able to tell stories in a natural way. Or in a visual way. That's what exactly. Yeah. And so what and a lot of people were doing, obviously, was going with stock. And so yeah. you had these very... Um, engaging relevant tweets or Facebook posts or blog yeah. posts and they were accompanied by you know smiling people yeah, from yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. stock photography and it just wasn't working so basically I started pitching the idea of you know look let me be something that is a bit unheard of right now but be your social media content creator <laughs> I will help you tell the stories that are being written visually yeah. what kind of response were you getting for that so you know the people that I met with the reaction instantaneously was wow that is amazing I need that oh, okay I need that right <laughs> now and you know I think that a lot of those people were getting bogged down because they knew themselves they were creating with at the time blackberries and yeah you know pretty poor camera phones like mm-hmm. the type of stuff that uh, I would say marred good, nice written pieces. Yeah. It just it just didn't look right. And then they would have this terrible stock photography of yeah. you know smiling people, and it, it just didn't work. So everyone was excited, and they would be like, "Yeah, this, is, this sounds great. Let me get back to you, and you know we can talk about a retainer and, and right. things like that." And hey, I was like, "Excellent! That went better than I thought." You know, after every meeting, and invariably the the response would be, "Yeah, you know, you know the, the people that write the checks they have no idea what you and I are talking about." So you know, I think this is not something that we can move forward with, but let's keep in touch, right? And that's kind of the way that it went right. for a long time to the point where I was able to then focus more on commercial photography okay. and realize the things that I'd like to shoot. But it still wasn't you know, necessarily where I wanted to be. Right. So fast forward two years okay. uh, after that, and I met a photographer by the name of Alex Stroll. Okay, um, okay. I've so heard of him. I think a few people have heard of him these days. <laughs> and uh, it was interesting. He somehow you know, ended up in Vancouver. He had had some commercial photography experience, not a ton. But we met and you know, he was hungry. And you know, the way that people think he's hungry now, he was always that way. He likes to go after it. And so we met, we clicked, and very quickly we started talking about how can we turn this into something bigger and better. And you know, we both had sort of the same thoughts, which were, at the time, look at all our talented friends who yeah. are doing Instagram, social media, yeah. and look at the way they're interacting with brands. It's right. kind of a shame because we had this commercial experience and we knew you know, what was possible. Mm-hmm. And yet they did not. And they were having trouble, they were getting taken advantage of in many ways. And, you know, there just seemed to be an opportunity to help those people get on a more equal footing. Just to dial it back just a tiny Mm -hmm. bit, when you say you and Alex could tell what was possible, what were you thinking was possible at that moment? 
you know, we had done commercial photography. Mm. We had worked on larger projects. Yeah. We knew what kind of value we were able to create, you yeah. know, for brands, for agencies, mm-hmm. uh, for companies. You know, make no mistake, I knew that social media, as soon as, you know, it began to thrive, it meant that photography was worth less in a way. Yes. Uh, the half-life of photography, like you no longer were expected to have one photo shoot last you a year. It's just not possible, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. You, you need fresh content all the time. Mm-hmm. So right off the bat, I think, you know, I recognize that um, the value is not going to be the same. Yeah. But at the same time, the value not being the same doesn't mean, you know, shooting a commercial campaign in exchange for a pair of shoes or a T-shirt. That is too far on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. And, and yet that's what was happening mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. So it sort of became our mission to talk to our friends and, and contacts and say, hey guys, you know, you should think about working on negotiating a better deal for what you're doing because, you know, it's really not that different. Mm -hmm. The work that you're doing is fantastic. You're talented. Don't be, you know, treated like a hobbyist if you're delivering, you know... Professional grade content. Yeah, commercial content. You know, what happened was um, at around the same time that we were chatting about these ideas, uh, we were brought on to a... Well, at the time it was called the CTC, but Destination Canada, the tourism organization for Canada. Right. Uh, we were brought on to a project that involved, uh, you know, taking bloggers, content creators, you know, photographers, yeah. videographers across Canada in a train, culminating in a travel conference. Okay. And we were brought on to be photographers on some of the, the train legs right. of that yeah. uh, project. It was really cool. I mean, we ended up meeting um, in Toronto. We went to this conference and, you know, it was sort of a travel writing conference for more geared towards bloggers of which you know yeah. which we weren't mm-hmm. but there were a lot of representatives from different destinations there around the world it, it was funny now that we think back to it but uh, Alex and I both said hey let's meet yeah. grab lunch and then go take off and, and shoot some photos for ourselves because uh-huh. this conference isn't really for us. Yeah. So we met up and the lunch, you know, wasn't open yet. And right. yet all those booths, you know, with the representatives from around the world were open. So you we are. decided, let's go walk around and have a quick chat with some of these people. And really quickly, um, you know, I realized something bizarre was happening. I would go up to these representatives from destinations, destinations meaning not just um, places, but hotels, right. other okay. types of travel companies. And they would say, oh, Murray, so what do you do? And I would say, I'm a photographer, and they'd be, oh, okay. What were they looking for? Well, so here's the thing, and then and then it, there would just sort of be this awkward silence between us for a few seconds, and then they would say, oh, but do you do Instagram? I see. <laughs> and I would say, well, yes. <laughs> and then suddenly it was like eyes lit up, because this was sort of like the cusp of, it was growing, and people were starting to see what was possible in terms right. of, inspiration and aspirational travel and things like yes. that. Yes. So, but, but in a way, they still weren't valuing you as a photographer. Once you said you do Instagram, they were valuing either the audience that you have or maybe that the fact that you understand social media better than them. Precisely. And, yeah. and they could also relate to it more because they had, you know, a lot of them still had the, the context of bloggers yes. in their minds. And they were like, oh, okay, picture bloggers. <laughs> and I, I think that's, <laughs> yeah. that's sort of what they thought of us. So, you know, I quickly reconnected with Alex and he had been going around to those same booths and having the same experiences. Right. And we picked up some, you know, great contacts. Mm-hmm. Um, we went away from that conference, went home. And, you know, we're like, you know, this is really a thing because uh, just the reaction that people were having. I mean, this is almost all the market research we need to do at this point. Yeah. Because what we were thinking about was, you know, creating something that was really geared towards travel. Mm -hmm. And so very, very shortly after that, uh, Stay and Wander was born. Cool. And shortly after that, um, we 
pitched projects to some of the brands you met, some of the brands we met, and you know some of the people that we had worked with in the past. And I believe we actually set up um, the first uh, Instagram, you know, travel campaign mm-hmm. in the world on a on a oh, wow. on a you know we don't necessarily know 100% what we're doing basis, <laughs> but neither yeah. does the client. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so you know that took place. Uh, we were able at the time just through our own connections mm-hmm. in the photography world to bring you know some of the biggest. Photographers, biggest meaning, uh, you know, non-celebrities with the most followers and, and highest engagement, creating yeah. great work yes. on the platform. And so we sort of did a, a test run sort of project. It went really well. And then they came knocking again and they're like, hey, can you guys help us put this together? And that was what eventually became the Alberta one by one. Right. And at the time it was, you know, five or six of the the biggest in the world. And they came and while this project was just going was going on, we just saw the numbers go through the right. roof. Yeah. Engagement, yeah. you know, um, comments, heartfelt, like, look, this is amazing. I need to do what you guys are doing. Nice. And it was a I guess a level of engagement and um, instantaneous um, engagement that our clients hadn't seen before. And so yes. everyone got really excited. Yeah. And to this day, you know, we can use that project as as one of we our can hold it up. Yeah, we can hold it up. And what came out of that, um, I guess, is is the history of Stay and Wander. I mean, it's from there, you know, we had done it a couple times yeah. to success. Just instantly we had a foot in the door with yeah. a lot of different organizations. Fast forward now four years later and four years. Four wow. years, yeah. And so, you know, it's not just travel. We run projects in a variety of different industries, different mm-hmm. verticals. You know, from travel to automotive to retail, yeah, uh, fashion, like food. We've done you know so many different things, and um, yeah, I guess you know four years later, that's kind of now where the story begins at this table. Yeah, that's true. It's good. <laughs> it got you here, right here, which is where you were aiming for, yeah. probably. But going on from that, I just want to come back to you on your name. You, you said something earlier about making a name for yourself and I would like love you to tell this quite literal story about how you came to get your username, which is actually your name, Maurice, which is incredibly rare on the platform (laughs) and involves some real detective work. And I just wanted you to go through that because I kind of know it, but obviously you tell it a lot better. So you were were Maurice Lee. You have to go take a few steps back uh, because I was actually one of the early users on Twitter, somewhat by accident. I mean... um, Steph, who I come to visit in Hong Kong, yeah. you know, she was in the tech industry in Vancouver as well. And we both kept up with yep. technology. And one day she's like, hey, you know, this, have you heard of this Twitter, <laughs> this, this Twitter thing? I don't know what it is, <laughs> but we should sign up for it. Yeah. So we did. And that was still back in the day where every tweet that you made was through text. Yes. And every time someone else tweeted, you would get a text. Oh, it, was, it was quite horrible by today's standards. Um, so anyway, we were, it was quite early. And for some reason, I just said, well, you know, why don't I just see if my name is available? And, and it, it was. was. Wow. And so I think I was user five or 6,000 on Oof. Twitter. Um, and so, the, you know, that was the, the source of minor fame as, fame as well. Yeah. How did you get more race, right? Yeah, and I was like, yeah. I don't know. I was just early. I mean, I didn't use it for a year or two, but <laughs> now that Twitter is a thing, it's great. And then when, when I did the, uh, the Royals, assignment that I mentioned, um, I had to run among other things, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, which was very, you know, fledgling at the time. Mm -hmm. I had not yet signed up for an account. And so I was like, hey, well, if I'm going to run this thing, I better better have an account myself. And Maurice wasn't available, only Maurice Lee. So I did the the project, the campaign with that as my username. And then when I came back, I was like, you know, this is terrible because at the time it was pushing, you know, your posts yeah. from Instagram to Twitter. And, yes. you know, and, and it would change the username and it would look exactly. weird. Or if it, yeah, when it got to Twitter, that name wouldn't have an at, it wouldn't be clickable link. Right. Right. 
So it was this this nightmare where I had to keep like <laughs> nightmare. I just couldn't <laughs> keep them connected, right? Yeah. So one night I was like, okay, well, I need to see about at Maurice so that I can have matching usernames. Yeah. And I looked and, you know, I mean, I think a lot of us have gone through this. It's like, oh, it, it's a dormant account or it's not really being used. There's yeah. only one photo, yeah. no followers. They don't really follow anybody. <laughs> this is really being used. Can I somehow get this account? Yeah. And of course, there's no contact info, no email, no direct messaging back then. There's yeah. no way to contact the person. So I had to do a little forensic work, enlarge the photo by, you know, downloading it or the, copying it. His profile photo? Uh, no, it was actually the one photo that had posted on oh, his okay. feed. Okay. And at the time, there was no way to enlarge either. So yeah. you had to, I just screenshot it oh, man. and then somehow blow it up. And, and I saw that there was a binder from a rocket science lab <laughs> in Switzerland. Crazy, right? And so yeah. I, I took a chance and went to that, their website yeah. for their department. And sure enough, there was a guy named Maurice and his email was listed. So I emailed him and it was just something I did like before bed one night. I was yeah. like, hey, you know, long story short, uh, you're not really going to care about this, but, you know, I have Maurice on Twitter and I just see you're not really using this. It would be great for, you know, as, as a photographer, if I could, you know, maybe get this username yeah. from you and I see you're not really using it. So I can compensate you. I'll send you a print of your choice, uh, blah, blah, blah. Nice. Um, let's chat, right? <laughs> and so I sent it off and then I went to bed and... I think I woke up, you know, like eight hours later and two hours after I'd emailed him, he had yeah. sent a reply and said, yeah, you know, you're going to make much better use of this than me. Here you go. I've deregistered it. Wow. So it was just sitting out there, you yeah. know, for six, six hours, hours until I grabbed it. And oh, that's how cool. I got it. I mean, this is back when people weren't thinking about what's this worth. They, Absolutely. You know, he was Absolutely. just like, yeah, this guy seems like a nice guy and I don't really want anything for it. So yeah. I'll just give it to him. And I guess at that stage, the, the platform itself wasn't big enough for him to even think it had value. Like it, maybe it won't even blow up. Yeah. I think in, with regards to Twitter, I actually had, uh, Edward was gone because uh, Edward is... There's a, there's a developer in San Francisco who takes Edward on everything. Same guy. He's just one step ahead of me with every app. I'm, I'm that guy from Maurice. <laughs> <laughs> so Edward was gone. So I took EKB as my name on Twitter. I sent out a few tweets, but as you said, it was a terrible experience. I had two friends on the platform. At one stage, maybe two weeks in, I was like, what are we doing, guys? I'm actually going to close my account. And I closed EKB. And then it was probably years later, I went back and I was like, oh, wow, Edward KB is still available. But to talk to talk about people that get it now, I tried to get Edward KB more recently on Facebook for my Facebook okay. photography page. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, um, I mean, how can I go into this? You wouldn't think it would be common but Edward K, K is actually a Ghanaian name, stands for Kwame. Now, there are, it's a day name, which means that depending on the day of the week you were born, you get a name in Ghana. Six of those names, of the seven names, start <laughs> with a K. Okay. So if your English name in Ghana is Edward, there's a almost 90% chance you're going to be Edward K. <laughs> Something. So Edward KB is owned by someone who is in Ghana. And um, my email was pretty much the same as you. Actually, sorry, it wasn't an email. I added him as a friend and I sent him a message just saying, you know, trying to be as boring as possible. I just want to do something with Edward KB. So it'd be great if you could just give it up and then you can be, I think, I, I'm not going to go into his full name, but I was like, and then you can be this and then I can have Edward <laughs> KB. And his response was literally, again, it was minutes later. He was like, well, why don't you be this? <laughs> and I continue to be Edward KB. 
<laughs> and I didn't go into it. And I didn't get into it with him anymore. But it was essentially the world's changed, and everyone realizes the value of things like real names or or usernames of brands, basically. So which kind of brings us back to the point of we'll stay in wonder. Well, and not just not just you know the value in that sense and trying to ask or acquire it, but I mean I have notifications at least once per day of someone trying to hack my account. Wow. Like trying to guess my password or, you know, and once I, I asked our contact at Instagram, hey, is there anything I can do about this? And they're like, no, I mean, this is what you have to put up with because wow, of the because username. you have the name. Yeah, but I do get, you know, people also, and, and these are always funny to me, but uh, I'll get DMs at least once per week saying, hey, uh, can you give me your username? <laughs> and, yes. it, and I'll look and there, you know, Maurice something. Yeah. And there's no... Re- None of what we did, you know, which is, please, yeah. we'll offer you a print <laughs> yeah. or compensate. They, yeah. They're just like, yeah, you know, just why don't you give me. me your account? <laughs> and my reaction is always, no. Well, yeah, no, why? <laughs> yeah, why? why? <laughs> <laughs> That's very strange. Um, so fast forward four years, can you see a change in the landscape of working with influencers? I mean, I think, I, w- I can't believe it's been four years, but I remember first speaking to you about this, about people being taken advantage of, people on different sides of the world being at various stages with brands in terms of social media marketing. You're at the forefront of that still. Have things normalized? Are we at a stage where people are respecting content creators? And that thing you said earlier where people are using Blackberries or whatever to do their social, are we now all at the stage where people are like, no, I need this? So when I say people, sorry, brands, are brands all at the stage where they're like, we need, I need this, I need your services? I think the short answer is no. You know, we've come a long way mm. and things are still changing literally by the week mm-hmm. um, in terms of, you know, what brands want or think they want or, you know, how they approach it. But really what we had was, you know, a situation a couple of years ago where, you know, a very small number of brands and agencies got it. Yeah. And the vast majority did not. Yes. Uh, or they were curious and yet they weren't ready to sort of dip one toe in. Yeah. Um, and so they would just continue with whatever was happening, what they were doing traditionally. Yeah. Now I think that you have a very broad range of, you know, brands and and agency clients and you know, even individuals who run businesses, right, right. Uh, their understanding is is runs the gamut. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have people that really get it. You have people that you know are we need to pay for this to get you know top work. Yeah, there are people that um, think, oh, you know, this guy has a million dollars, so if I offer him a T-shirt, mm. he can probably send me five posts. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, and they're not trying to screw anybody over. That's simply their understanding That's of the that. value of social media. Mm-hmm. Um, the other end of the spectrum, you have clients or entities that are that feel like they're they're over it. Mm. They're they're past the whole, you know, influencer oh. social media game. They okay. think you know that is not something we want to. You know, be involved in, and we don't want to pay people for that. Right. Um, you know, we're we're going to do our own thing and okay. do something differently. What does their own thing tend to be? Their own quote unquote new thing often tends to be doing it the old way again. Oh, <laughs> which is <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Just the um, regular ad. No, but there are but there are people that are trying to to innovate and and do very you know interesting things. But I guess you know, in short, what I'm trying to say is that there are still plenty of opportunities uh, because you know the market is so large, but you really have to spend a lot of time sifting through the opportunities or educating or learning just when to say no really quickly, right. you know, to be efficient in terms of what we do. And, and, you know, just to give you an example for us, we field inquiries from, I mean, recently we were contacted by a company I personally had not heard of. 
<laughs> but you know, I did a quick Google and they're worth $9 billion. Oh, wow. And you have that to individuals saying, hey, how much do I need to pay you guys to shout me out right. on your, you know, and so, you know, it really everything in between every day. So it, it's, it's like I say, it's still the Wild West in a way. Yeah. Um, and you can land really, really big projects mm -hmm. and you can do small ones. And I think for us, what's been important is to really figure out who we are and what kind of projects we want to be involved with and yep. what kind of clients we want to be involved with. And, and that has sort of set us on the path that best represents who we want to be in this yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of your Wild West comment, because I've always, when I say always, maybe for a couple of years, thought that it would normalize and there would be some rates, some official kind of, not rate card, but you know, something where everybody knew how much everyone was being paid for brand or content work. Very recently, I hired someone at Cartoon Network who, and taking her through the process of acquiring or co-producing TV shows, she had a lot of questions about the costs of things. And I started to realize that, I mean, I've only been handed down prices from people that taught me. So I've been doing this for a while, but they obviously do it. There's been animation being made for television for many years now. But although the cost of an actual show may be normal, may have a, a fixed price by labor and by uh, materials, but actually how much people pay for it varies wildly um, to the point that I couldn't actually explain uh, to this new starter. Um, and so that made me realize that I might be, we might be waiting for a normal, you know, something to normalize that may never normalize. I actually don't think it'll ever happen. Yeah. You know, the disparity, if you will, in rates. I mean, you can see it in other careers, other industries as well, but perhaps not to a big degree. Yeah. Uh, to such a big degree, and that's, I think, because it's still the Wild West. Mm -hmm. uh, I think some degree of normalization of range will take place. Yeah. But, you know, what's one post worth on somebody's channel who has a million eyeballs, mm. but they represent your brand 100%, yeah. you know, you are aligned mm -hmm. versus somebody who has the same or not the same, but a similar million eyeballs. Yeah. But you know they're not really quite what you're about in terms yes. of what you're doing. Yes. Um, you know there are going to be companies that will say, "Look, whatever that difference is, I will pay it because we believe in in our brand messaging and we believe in our brand identity. Yeah. And we want to work with somebody who represents that to the fullest. Yeah. For every one of those, there's going to be another who says, "Yeah, you know what? I'm going to save a few bucks." Or a few thousand bucks, as it may be. Yes, uh, I'm okay going with this with this other person, and you know maybe they are, you know, doing this job for me, and then doing something for a competitor next month. Mm -hmm. But you know, I'll get what I want out of it, and I'll gladly take the savings. Right. So it really depends, right? I mean, yeah. The brand part is where I want to segue into next and talk about one of your other passions that you could have followed, could have ended up working in a sneaker factory. <laughs> <laughs> sneaker factory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started you <laughs> That could be a tough life. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to talk about something that I didn't realize when I first met you. I think, oh no, maybe I realized a little bit because I was just coming out of my old life of staring at people's feet and judging them when I meet them, but I wasn't doing that. So I didn't realize how much you were into sneakers until later on when we knew each other a bit better. But you have been a collector for a very long time. I have. I mean, I've been a, a collector. I've been just a general fan of sneakers or shoes. It's, it's something that started at a young age. And yeah. It's really interesting because I think, you know, when we met, yeah. I was in the midst of a 10-year-long retirement. Pretty much, same, right? same. Yeah, and, and I think we even talked about it once. I was like, I made some comment to you like, yeah, you know, I, I might have bought these... <laughs> 
in my former life. Yeah. But um, so anyway, uh, I'm, I'm not sure really what happened, um, but I kind of fell back into it yeah. a couple of years ago. And so, you know, now I still read the news, as you know, because yep. we are in a... We're in a, we're in a chat group. We're in a number of uh, <laughs> chat groups, but yeah, we are in one about sneakers. And in that group, I mean, a lot of what happens is kind of dictated by... Not a lot of what happens, but a lot of what is reported and a lot of what we find out is dictated through social media, mm -hmm. right? So what I want to put to you, having probably, well, having been into sneakers as long as I have, is that there was a time where you didn't know something was out until it was out, right? right? right. Until it was on the shelf, yeah? yeah? I mean, sometimes and, it was, you were like, oof, when, when did that come out? Yeah, yeah, And it's just yeah, sitting yeah. there, right? Or like, I mean, for me, you probably had the same thing, but you knew someone at a sneaker shop who would show you a catalog, right? And you'd just be like, whoa. And that was kind of my maybe the first kind of instances of knowing how far in advance fashion works, right? Because something someone in a cat will be showing you in a catalog was actually not coming for nine months. Like that's essentially how fast, how much they had to order in advance. Well, and in a pre-social media world, nine months was a lifetime. I know. How crazy is that? <laughs> how many Absolutely. things can we do in nine months, right? <laughs> that's insane. Um, so uh, there was a diff there was one other thing that um, they did, particularly Nike. They had these quick strike things, which meant that they could come a bit quicker but so that was pretty much how um sneakers were bought um you knew it was there when it was there and then it was gone oh it was either on your feet on somebody else's feet and that was the end of it you real life influences <laughs> right right <laughs> um and now uh, delving back into that world how would you say things have changed the rise of buying online is right. the single biggest I mean, you know, I think back and in, to acquire a pair of shoes that I wanted, I used to do things like, you know, meet people in parking lots <laughs> or, you know, meet people in alleys in Japan. And, you know, to this day, there are what? some, there are friends that I met and originally it was like meeting them in Shibuya in an yeah. alleyway saying, here's a North American release. I'm going to trade you for, you know, an Asia release, yeah. um, you know, that kind of thing. So the, the, Acquisition cycle. I don't know what you want to call it, but that yeah. was very long. Yeah, and just just a tiny point that you just made is that it was there were releases that would never make it to your absolutely. Concert, so right, with that in that world, so you geography was huge. Yeah, it was. A, it, so I mean, I'm gonna go into it again, but this glo the globalization of things has changed. I mean, I would say that. I used to read these, uh, there used to be this Japanese bookstore near where I lived and I used to buy these Japanese magazines that were sealed. That's the reason I bought them is because they were sealed. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I couldn't just go there and use it like a library. And they would have stuff like these black and neon MX-97s that were... I mean, they've been released three or four times since, but when they were in that magazine, they were impossible for me to lay my hands on unless I went to Japan. Well, they were Asia only yeah. after the first release, yeah. Yeah, so things like that mean, I mean, you went to Shibuya and you met a guy and you did some swap or something? What let's, did you do? Let's, let's bring it closer to home. I, you know, had to travel to London right. to go to Foot Patrol yeah. for the Foot Patrol Air Stab. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. And, and I remember that at that time, the folks at Foot Patrol didn't have a, a great reputation in terms of the staff. Right. I met the nicest people working there and they hooked <laughs> me up. And, and so, yeah, things like that. I mean, uh, I had the, you know, like the privilege of being able to travel yep. uh, quite easily. And so, you know, I used that to my advantage mm -hmm. and I would pack up, you know, three or four pairs of US or Canada release shoes and yep. just go and be like, hey, yeah. Let's trade. Wow. <laughs> you know? And wow. so. But wait, where were you meeting them to trade? What were you saying? Where oh, were we, you so, meet them online? Yeah, there were, well, at the time, there were, it was message boards. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah so yeah, yeah, Nike yeah. Talk was a big one. Yeah. Um, 
I remember being on that message board at uni, yeah. actually. Yeah, Nike Talk and just seeing the Soul new Jordans. Collector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there was there was no other way. I mean, the, right. there was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. There was yeah. no no way to DM somebody. So I mean, <laughs> that that is the exchange part of it, and mm-hmm. that has changed. But do you feel like the brands themselves have changed as a result of social media? The brand, the brands, the way they market sneakers to people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they 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 know how to play the game. They seed, you know, sneakers to various you know, blogs, influencers, just like any other industry, mm-hmm. perhaps even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they understand that now they can release regional, you know, exclusives, yeah. but there's no real boundaries now, right, with yeah. the internet? I mean, nope. and, and the boutiques know that as well. So they don't only market to their, you know, home crowds. Right. They market to the world. And, and I think there's a bit of a backlash these days because, you know, locals oh, okay. are thinking, hey, you know, like I support your store, and, you know, if you don't want me to, like, buy every release from a different store around the world, right. then you should, you know, help me out. Yeah, yeah And so yeah, I think yeah. a lot more stores are starting to think about that and, you know, have in-store-only raffles or releases right. and things like that. But, I mean, yeah, that, that's, I think one thing is boundaries. There are none, yeah. very few anymore in terms of trying to acquire sneakers. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big thing um, is that um, back then, you know, you and I, if we saw something we really wanted, yeah. we, ju- we couldn't buy it, right? Uh, unless it's in front of you, right? Unless it's in front of you. Yeah, or yeah. you know somebody or, you know, like yeah, I said... You someone, ch- like for right. me in school, it was like, oh, this person's going to the US, so yeah. I've seen this thing, yeah. can you get hold of that thing exactly. for me? Yeah, yeah. Now it's different because if you have money, yeah. you can get whatever pair of shoes you want. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, these yeah. sites like StockX and Goat and things like that and eBay. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, for me, a lot of it was the thrill of the hunt. Right. Right. It was trying to find that sneaker. And, you know, sometimes you would set your sights on something and it would take you three to five to, you know, nine months to actually track it down. Yeah. Only to find out that, you know, they didn't have it in your size. Yes. Right. And now it's it's different. It's, um, you know, you try to buy something. If you have the money, you can pay up. You desperately need something. <laughs> and then you have it in your and hands. And then you have it or <laughs> or you you don't have it. You can't get it. And then, oh, you know what? 10 more sneakers are releasing next week. Yeah. So you, you just kind of move on to yeah. the next thing. Yeah. Right? The, I mean, the production line is so crazy these days. The, the, one of the most hilarious things about, you know, online discussions, sneakers, you know, mm-hmm. be it, you know, whatever platform you're looking at, is the definition of a grail, mm. right? And it's hilarious because okay. people get so heated with that discussion. Right. Because you have sort of us, you know, old heads who are like, oh, holy grail, it's something I've been searching forever for. I can't <laughs> yeah. find it my size, yeah. you know? Like, when I see it, I'm going to buy it no matter what the price. Yeah, and then now, what are other people saying? Yeah, well, now, I mean, you have kids who are like, oh, you know, that the last Yeezy, I finally got it. It's my grail. And it's like, okay, you know, who am I to, you know, to argue with you? Sure, it's your grail, but the definition of grail has it's definitely changed. changed. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah. It's so, kind of like best film ever or best song ever. Yeah. Back in the day, it would be something that was like... 20 years old or something, but it could be just a song for like a film from last summer now. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that um, a lot. What is your, not grail, but just the favorite pair of sneakers that you own? Or, I know, I knew you couldn't answer that, so I already hit the or. (laughs) (laughs) What was the most satisfying pair of sneakers that you bought? I think maybe uh, Atmos uh, Air Max One. You know, there was a set, it was an Air Max One and an Air Max 95. Yep. 
kind of has brown tones yeah, and purple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. And was this a social media hunt? Was this did this take a long time to get hold of? Oh no, no, that's that's from back in the day. That's oh. from that's from a personal. Like, you know, met somebody who yeah. wanted to trade a pair of shoes. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. I, I had a pair of Air Max 95s that were, for anybody that doesn't know, like Air Max 95s for many, <laughs> for like a few years were the only things that people wore in, in London, yeah. right? So in London, I mean, there was just nothing else. It seemed like they were the only sneakers on sale because everybody wore them. So there was a pair that was exclusive to Finish Line in the US that were th- all 3M, so totally reflective. I know it sounds terrible, but no, they were cool. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going to take anything from anyone. It was, they were cool. So um, I had to, my, my sister lives in the US, but my sister didn't have time to go and search for sneakers for me. So I had to order them online. I mean, it wasn't that much effort, but I, I ordered them from Finish Line to be delivered to my sister, who then flew, um, sent them over to the UK. And yeah, I was just getting stopped in the street like a celebrity by anyone. But it was almost like um, a vampire. They wouldn't show up in in pictures. Is any any photos that had a flash? <laughs> it just looked like my feet had exploded. <laughs> it was pure reflection. But those are. I really wish I'd held onto them. They were also one of the most. I, I guess I've paid more for sneakers now, but um, yeah, I, they were the most expensive at the time. What was the colorway? That it, so it's all 3M. It's all silver. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember this. And there were um, there, there was a touch, touch of, of like, red, right? No, no. There was a touch of dark blue on the back. Oh, okay, okay. And they had dark blue laces, but I changed them out for silver laces as well because wow. because oh. <laughs> you know you know wow. how we do. <laughs> in terms of expensive, probably Wovens. Wovens caused the most um, stir in the when they were first released, mm-hmm. and I mean it was one of the first big marketing things I saw from Nike away from sports stores was that they gave Wovens to the fashion shop in London. Um, So Post, Brown's Focus, Hideout, and a few others. They gave them like a colour each. And these shops were in Soho within maybe half a mile of each other. Um, Oh, and they limited it to two pairs per person. But they were £220, I think. Back in the day? Yeah. That's like $10,000 now. (laughs) It's like a ton of money. (laughs) We're really dating ourselves. (laughs) It's a ton of money. So um, I remember buying two pairs and then there was a there was a stylist in New York who was like, I don't even know what forum she used, but I found her and she was willing to pay like up to 400 pounds for like one of the pairs that I had. And that was my first ever like- Reseller. Yeah, it was my first ever resale moment. I didn't plan to be a reseller, but I literally bought two pairs because I was like, well, these have value. There are people standing outside post willing to buy your second pair off you. And I, just, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. But when I got home, I was like, whoa, I can actually sell these on. So yeah. I guess I don't know what year that was, but that was my first example of actually this business. Obviously, you realized that that wouldn't be a wise career path either. No, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, but just bringing it back to social media for a moment. So, in terms of these companies, I'm going to name check Nike and Adidas and whoever. How does it feel now? Bearing in mind you've maybe looked up to them, you've you've sought out their products repeatedly. How does it feel now to work with companies like this? On, on a stay and wonder level. Is it as fun as you expected or is it much more business-like now? Is it more, is it pe- like peeking behind the curtain basically of marketing plans and that kind of thing? How does that feel? Just for the record, we have not worked with right. those brands. Yes. Um, but, you know, as a general answer to your question, um, I think for the most part, I'm pleasantly surprised when I work with the creative teams. Mm-hmm. 
especially at the bigger companies who you know are hired for a very specific purpose. Right. And so you know within these companies they have people who are actually dreamers, who you know really want to create something fantastic. And yeah. those are the people that I really enjoy interfacing with. Yeah. It's when you layer on the other business units that sometimes the people that maybe don't understand what is being achieved, what you're trying to well, achieve. Yeah, I mean, they they might take direction from those other departments, right. but they're there to make sure, you know, the bottom line works, that, you know, it fits with a certain strategy, which, yeah. you know, may not be a creative fit. Yeah. That's, I think, sometimes where things go off the rails a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, a lot of times when the, when the, the assignment, if you will, you know, makes its way through a company, it, it sort of gets distorted. Yeah. Um, and by the time it sort of reaches us, um, you know, something that we always like to say is we're most effective and we can be most effective for you uh, being the client when you bring us in at the ground level. Because what is the worst is when you come to us with something that's half or even worse, nearly fully baked. Right. And we basically have to spend so much time undoing everything mm. because, you know, let's let's go all, all the way back to something we were talking about earlier. But, you know, there are people that it's, it's not their role mm-hmm. to necessarily understand what we do because they don't live and breathe it. Right. They, they can pretend to. But, you know, this is something that you can see through really, really quickly. Right, and right, so right. I think the, the, the clients that want to push us in that direction because client is always right. Mm. I mean, that brings trouble. It doesn't make for an effective campaign. And, you know, ultimately we want what's best for everybody. As quote-unquote influencers or brand representatives or doing brand work, yeah. the brand's success says a lot about our own success. Yeah. And so we, we should be aligned. Mm-hmm. And when we're not, I think that's when things fall apart. Yeah. And and it really shows through in the final product. Right. And it's unfortunate. Right. I mean, you I'm sure you're the same as me. We've seen people that we, you know, love and respect and work with. Yeah. Doing kind of terrible things yeah. because they were forced to. Yeah, yeah. But going back to your previous point, that sometimes the, they're not even hired as the right fit. Right. So that sometimes it can go back to that. But then you're right; it can also be the right fit, but given the wrong instructions. Or yeah, any there, there's so many different ways that that things can go wrong. Yeah. And I think you know part of what we do because we're you know we're an artist-run agency. Yeah. I mean myself, Alex Stroll, Richard Arwala, we are all photographers, mm-hmm. and you know. Influencers, if you will, yeah. meaning that we have audiences mm-hmm. that you know we interact with, and yeah. there's mutual respect. And so we understand when we work with photographers, no matter what country they're from, yeah. we understand what they need mm-hmm. to succeed and to do a good job, and what they need to to be creatively honest, yeah. you know, with the work that they're doing. And we also know as consumers ourselves, yeah. um, when we talk to our clients, like we're very straightforward in terms of letting them know what will work and won't work. Yeah. Because, you know, who are you selling to? They're not the audience, meaning some third party. We are those people. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so something that I always say is, you know, we've basically found success because we understand and we're able to convey that in general, people don't hate advertising, mm-hmm. you know, through social media mm-hmm. or, or coming from people like us. They don't hate advertising. Right. What they hate is bad advertising. True. Yeah. And so, you know, our mission is to you know, work with people so that they don't have to put out bad advertising, to yeah. create advertising that um, that inspires, that people are receptive to, mm-hmm. that people find interesting. Yeah. Right. And so that's really the bottom line. After that big pitch, I remember you said at the beginning that you followed your passion. Seems like you deal with a lot of the business side now. Are you still passionate about photography? 
And do you still shoot? Because I, I was talking to someone quite recently who said, I mean, I know shooting and posting is different, but I was speaking to someone who was like, Maurice doesn't post as much as he used to. So is that just because you're busy working or are you not feeling it anymore? What's the story? You know, to be super candid with you, a lot of it has to do with time. Mm. So, I mean, one of the reasons that I actually enjoy coming to Hong Kong every year, mm-hmm. I mean, and I've been here for the last seven years around this time. Okay. You know, so all the years that, you know, we've known each other and things yeah. like that. I mean, I come and I try to carve out time for myself to shoot because, you know, this city has so much to offer for photographers. Yeah. What happens is, and I'll just use this trip as an example. Mm-hmm. So I'm here for about two weeks. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to land. I'm going to get out there. I have some <laughs> agency meetings and client meetings I need to do. I have some photographers that I want to get to know better, mm-hmm. um, you know, as friends, but also potentially if we can work together in the future. Mm-hmm. But really, I, what I want to do is eat. Yeah. And, you know, I love to, you know, eat and <laughs> yeah. find good explored food. And I want to do some shooting for myself. But, you know, look, I've been here nine days. And, <laughs> wow. And I've gone out to shoot one day, wow. two, including today, wow. because, you know, the, when you don't see me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm doing things for clients on, you know, Western time, Eastern time, yeah. European time. Of course. The first week that I was here, I probably got an average of two and a half hours of sleep per night. Wow. And so, you know, that's great. You have all day, Maurice. But I mean, when you're on two and a half hours of sleep, you can't really can't go out and you can't do it. explore. And yeah. so I think that that would be my regret. Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of a, not a regret because, I mean, I really wanted to build this company up. Yes. I want to be of service to our clients. I want to be of service to photographers that yeah. we work with. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, we need to grow, but that's what drives me. And mm-hmm. so I would say that right now it's at the expense of my own personal photography time right but hey you know you got to do what you got to do sometimes Mm -hmm. and hopefully if we continue to find success then i can sort of move some of those things off my plate and have more time to to create still doing it still really enjoy it yeah Um, you know i still love photography just as much as i used to but good just don't have the time a lot, you know, yeah. a lot of cases. And and in terms of the influencer work, which right. I also do myself yeah. or have done in the past, <laughs> I mean, same thing. I, for me, it, I get to be a lot more selective because I that's not my main, you know, income, if you will. And mm-hmm. so I did a job a couple months ago and I realized when I did, did these posts, I was like, I haven't done a sponsored post, if you will, yeah. for almost two years. Huh. <laughs> Whoa! Coinciding with you know the the rise of you know our agency and yeah, what we've been doing, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's um, telling. No, but that's a good thing. Honestly, busy yeah. is good. So, I mean, my final question to you really is: What next for Stay and Wonder? And it sounds like you need more staff. <laughs> yeah, we definitely need to grow. I think we need to. We haven't done any advertising okay. in, in our four years, so you know we could really stand to get our name out there more. I yeah. mean, almost all of the work that we get is word of mouth. Sounds like you need a campaign. Maybe a, a campaign for ourselves. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's interesting. Our our the Stay and Wonder account. We recently hit five hundred thousand followers. Cool. And so, um, you know, it's great. We have this community of people that kind of like the type of imagery and the brand that we've built for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to show people more of what we do. We, it's not that we're secretive. Yeah. It's more just, you know, like I said, we don't, we haven't had time to market. Like yeah. we don't have PR. Most of the the jobs that come our way, you know. Thank you. Like, but they're like, hey, we've seen something that you've done, or one of your photographers has done. Right. How can we work together? And yeah. then we have to go. We have to tell them what yeah, we are. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. we're very blessed that way. Like, it's it's, good. it's a good problem no, to have, right? Yeah, um, it's a really good problem. But yeah, I think I think next level is to uh, continue growing, continue you know operating, partnering with creatives in, in more areas in the world. Yeah. And really just continuing to do, I think, great work. That's that's sort of 
this reputation that we have. Yes. And I'm very thankful for that. So we want that to continue. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing all the great work that you do. Thanks Thank for you. coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tune in. And if you have any comments or feedback, please message me on Instagram. And if you like this podcast, we ask you to do one thing and one thing only. Please share it with a friend or wherever you can. Let's get into it. <laughs>